Oh, you went old school with the uh the Sergio Tashini? Shit, that's the only way for me. I got about 24 of these shits. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, you know. I mean, I tell a nigga, uh, somebody asked me, what's your image? I said, my image is me. Fly nigga who get a couple of dollars, man. That's all, man. You know? <clears throat> that's all. You know, so I put the did I did I get it right? I tagged you on both of my pages. Yes, yes. I got them. I got it. Okay, because I did one and my girl did one. So, uh, what was good with you, man? I'm chilling, man. I'm 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 glad we finally I'm I'm glad we finally got a chance to chop it up, bro. Yeah, yeah. How you holding up in all, in all this fucking craziness, man? No, I I you know um I I had COVID uh, a month ago. Right. Yeah, so you know, uh, I still got a little bit of congestion, but I'm 98% back, like to okay. normal. Okay, and and you know, that's a that's a whole nother topic. How many um question for you? How many um are we? When is the interview starting? It start. We live right now. Holy shit! All right, I'm sorry, I'm coming. <laughs> oh shit! I I see that ASR in the background. Yeah, that's the that's the piece, man. That's the piece, man. I'm in. I'm in with you, man. You got me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, from the Bronx, New York, uh, part of Money Boss Players, uh, legendary producer for Big Pun, Most Deaf, Money Boss Players, Lord Tariq, Pudgy the Fat Bastard, Sadat X, uh, Grand Poobah. I introduce you to Minnesota. Thank you, thank you, home team. What it is, man? What up? Uh, just taking it moment by moment, home team. That's all, man. You know. Right, right. So, a lot of people aren't familiar with your story. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I want you to start out. You know, hip hop started in the Bronx. So I want to know how it was growing up for you when uh you were at the at the heart of when hip-hop started yeah like man. found like uh what, what, what do they call it um ground zero for yeah, hip-hop well um i like to call it and this is uh, this is gonna be one of my my album um one of my albums that i uh come up with it's called the kid at the jam so you go downstairs you're four or five, six years old. And I know that sounds crazy now, but back in the days, nobody was taking kids. So you could go the fuck out, but your right. own rule was be upstairs when them street lights went off. So, you know, we had a childhood, like kids, kids could go outside and play and have fun and do a bunch of wild shit, mischievous shit, have fun. You know, it was, <laughs> there was no taking kids. So the, the streets was like your babysitter growing right. up. You because know, your neighbor, your, your neighbor had the permission to slap the shit out of you if oh, he was yeah. doing something crazy. No, no doubt, no doubt. Your neighbor had the permission to slap the shit out of you, and you know it, it was different because if they were grown men, and say the grown men were getting into some gangster shit or they were doing something, they'd be like, "Hey, you kids, get out of here! You get off the block." So you know they would tell you to you know get out to the get out of the circumference of danger, you know. But um, yeah, growing up in the Bronx was crazy because it was like. My old block is 183rd and um, Southern Boulevard. You go up to the next block, there's 
Cortona and Prospect are the next two blocks. So growing up on that side of town, I got to see Flash DJing outside when I was a child. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then my cousins yeah. lived on Webster, and on Webster, in front of 1260 Webster, um, Flash came over there before with the five turntables. And this is pre-crack. There's no crack. This is the heroin era when, you know, the big time black bosses was controlling heroin and everything like that. And on that side, I would also see Flash, DJ Kusa, and DJ Formolo. And these are names that might not resonate now, but they were at that time in the original stages of hip hop. Um, right. um, um, and then when I got the Soundview, I moved to Soundview right after the blackout in 77. So when I got over to Soundview, um, you had, that's when I got familiar with the whole Zulu Nation, Gestapo, Bambada, Jazzy J, Red Alert, a young guy, a young kid on stage with a red afro, DJing under red lights. Um, when I got to that side of town, that's when I got, you know, started seeing like the Zulu Nations, the Jazzy Jays and, you know, all that right. kind of stuff. You, you, you sent me a very controversial text. You said hip hop started in Soundview. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Explain now, that. All right, look, right, I'm younger. I don't know. Okay, but okay. Whenever, you know, just growing up in the Bronx, you speak to these people who are dope fiends, crackheads, or just older people who go to work and come home, and they're like, oh man, her game start. That hip hop ain't started on the West Side. That started over here with Mario. So here you hear this over the years and over the years and over the years. So now that Herc has the museum and everybody has him as the guy who started rap, now the elder statesmen are starting to come forward with it a little more. Like you got a YouTube channel called Michael Wayne TV where you go in it and they're talking to these kind of people, ex-dope fiends, uh, ex-gang members, ex-crackheads. Uh, uh, and they're, they're talking to these just Bronx civilians, and they're all saying the same thing. It started over here. Mario, I mean, um, Herc and Bam were coming to check out what Mario was doing, you know? And the, and the break dance was the Black Spade dance. You know what I'm saying? Because they would okay. dance to the break. So, you know, that's, some, that's just some Bronx controversy that's up, in the, up, up with the elders, you know? Right, right. So, uh, gr growing up, and how did you get into music? Well, look, right. First, first and foremost, I always loved it, and um, I always loved music. But it wasn't until my life took a turn to being in involved with. At that time, between the ages of thirteen and twenty, I mean, the whole city was hustling. You know, all the kids were like the front line for the new drug that came out because, um, how can I put it? And I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. And Soundview, I swear, it was like one week we was break dancing, doing electric boogie, and then the next week we was buying clout leathers and roof of the world jackets. You know what I'm saying? It was just something happened that fast that took us out of childhood into an adult game. So what people got to understand is, crack started '84 until. Before that, everything was about music. So right. uh, I went through the streets and did a lot of things and, and got dragged until it was like, damn, I want to try something else. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and it's funny the way that God works because um, 
I was, there were situations that made me move and stay down in Midtown Manhattan at my cousin's house. And when I started to, when I, when I got down there, um, my little cousin, he was working with some guys who had an operation going and me being me, you know what I'm saying? I jumped mm -hmm. in immediately. I jumped into the operation immediately. And, um, a lot of things transpired. My cousin ended up getting murdered. And, and 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 from him getting murdered and stuff like that, I definitely wanted to figure out something else. And uh, my partner, who's, who's a guy, he's a born again Christian now, he's not the street guy named Oye Black, Oye Negro from Midtown Manhattan. His cousin was the dancer for Brand Nubian at the time. He's a DJ now, his name is DJ Talim. And the other dancer was a, a dude named uh, God Our Truth. God Our Truth and Talim, when, when I purchased my first beat machine, which is the ASR or the EPS 16 plus back then, that was the, that was the lower version of the ASR. Right. So I, when I got that, um, I got that and um, got into it, man. You know what I'm saying? I just love music. So it was so easy for me to adapt. And then um, Peter Gunn's producer is the one who taught me how to use the machine because I'm straight off the street. I don't know nothing about the studio. To this day, when producers start talking about, oh, you got the Digio 107, I, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> and people, people don't believe that because they, they feel like, yo, you know, you're into this music, you do this, you do that. And um, I don't know. I know how to create it. That's it. I know how to, I'm a good song maker and I know how to create music and I've been a, a ghost Ghostwriter slash ghost songwriter for the longest. Okay. Uh Peter Gunn's producer, what was his name? Um KNS Scratch. KNS Scratch, okay. KNS Scratch. He did deja vu. Everybody thought I did it because I'm so connected with them and so tight with them. Everybody thought I did deja vu, but no, nah, I'm not the producer of deja vu. Okay, so when you get this EPS, you're what, 21, 22? Shit. Um, right on the money, right on the money. Because okay. we okay. recorded, recorded, we recorded the Money Boss album. We put out an album, and it was a hardcore album, and we recorded it in 1993 and put it out in 1994. So yes, right on, right on point, right on time. Yes. So are are you and the Money Boss players, Lord Tariq? Are you guys living in the same? Um, uh, all of you guys are in Soundview. Well, um, the Money Boss players. There was there was six of us that were the artists. Um, me and Tariq made up a group called Larceny Inc. inside of Money Boss Players. Um, the second group was Questions and Answers, which was Big Iron C Dub, and the third group is Boss Money, which is Eddie Chiba and Trey Bag. So it was three. It was like it was kind of like what Wu Tang was doing at that time. Right. It was groups inside groups under the umbrella. So okay. the name of that the name of that album that we had put out back in 1993 was Ghetto Chronicle Daily. Ghetto Chronicle Daily. Now, you you guys put this out yourselves? Did you have yeah, vinyl we put press? It, no, we put it out ourselves. We definitely put it out ourselves back then. Okay. So when you guys put this out, what what uh what what, what caught the label of, I mean, what, what caught the attention of the labels? Well, you know what? You know, back then, to get on back then, you had to go into Manhattan. And people will go every all of the MCs would be like, Lord, anybody who was trying to get on 
would end up in Washington Square Park or like uh, uh, Lord Tariq and DMX battled at Hunter College. Like Manhattan, Wait, what? Lord Tariq and DMX battled at Hunter College. And you can ask, if you ever get to interview DNY, you can ask them because that's when the Money Boss players met the Rough Riders. Oh, uh, are you going to say who won? <laughs> I would say, <laughs> come on, bro. I would say, no, 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 no. I would say that they both, they both were excellent. Because Lord Tariq was the mixtape dude, and D at that time DMX was the unknown dude. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, Money Boss Players uh, comes out when? Uh, when do you when do you produce for Pudgy the Fat Bastard with with Big um, on the song? From, from us from us getting the buzz and getting the hype back then, a management company has stepped in me. I didn't have no management. I'm a kid from the Bronx. I know nothing. Like I, yo, listen. I had bad financial training, everything. Like, I just, I could, I could sit here and look back and say, I came into the game as a street kid with no training, and um, the the management company that stepped to me at the time was um, they were called Mechadon Management, and that was uh, a elder statesman by the name of Jerry Griffith, and Jerry Griffith comes off of the um, comes out of the offices with Clive Davis, Roger Romaine, and another dude named Max Goose. So when I got under there, when I got under there, when I got under their umbrella, they had the artist Pudgy the Fat Bastard. So that's how I gave them cassette tapes and they played beats for Pudgy and Pudgy ended up buying different beats for me and stuff. Okay. <laughs> when 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 you did Think Big, uh was were all the artists in the same session? Crazy session because we would have had more pictures, but me being a young Bronx idiot. I was like, yo, don't take no fucking pictures. You know, everybody had this, this New mindset. York, New York niggas, I tell you. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? So uh, 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 my friend Tony B, he snuck a picture. He snuck a picture of Big and him in the booth. And then he had everybody line up behind me. And I was on the board and we took the picture. And it was like, I think he asked me so much. I was like, all right, man, one fucking picture. So, you know, that was that. That was the, I didn't know that it was going to be a historic session, but it was. Wow. So I I looked at, I looked up uh, on Discogs, <clears throat> Money Boss Players has a record on Discogs and it says management by Pecos. You were, were you? Were well, you, you know, Pecos, 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 is a yeah. story, Pecos is a story where Pecos grew up with us in Soundview. The only okay. money boss players that was from Sandy was Big Eye, C Dub, me and Lord Tariq. And then Eddie and them is from the other side of the Bronx. But um Pecos was definitely involved with us the whole time. Like Pecos is a childhood friend. We went to high school together. Okay. You know? Yeah. So all right. Uh well, let's 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 go back. You're 12 and your dad is in jail. Right. So your mother raising you or your grandmother like well i was i was raised by my grandmother and my aunt because um you know when i was born my mother had me when she was 13 but the gener that generation before us they was getting high and they was getting high off of heroin so you know my mother you know had a, a a heroin addiction problem problem and when she birthed me she brought me to my aunt in the bronx so i was with my aunt and my grandmother in the bronx because had it had been she wasn't a person 
who was abusing drugs at such a young age, I would have been born on Farmers Boulevard. Because, you know, my queen, my, my queen's family was from Corona and they were from um, wherever farmers in Liberty meets, like 109 right there. So my family was um, always in Queens. You see, my, my father was from Brooklyn, but moved to Queens. You know what I'm saying? So um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, my family was from Queens. So, you know, she brought me uptown and that's how I was born and raised in the Bronx. Okay. Uh, now jumping back to uh, when you're, you know, Pudgy the Fat Bastard, what, what actually opened the door for you to do most deaf and pun? Oh, what, 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 what was what was, what was that breakthrough? Those are two different books. <laughs> that's later right, on. Let, 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 that's let, later let, on. That's later on that that happened. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, I'm skipping. Most, oh, okay. Most deaf. Um. Now, now, all right. If we're gonna speak on most deaf, when I met most, I got to go back to DJ Talim and God Our Truth, which were brand Nubian dancers, and they brought me in the fold and they introduced me to people. They, they introduced me to their dude who I was tight with named Aliasha. Aliasha Jabril was the first um, designer for Russell Simmons Fat Farm at the time. So Aliasha Jabril, his homie was most deaf. They, that was the Brooklyn crew. So I, I've always, I'm from the Bronx, but I've always been, always been cool with Brooklyn niggas. So um, Aliasha Jabril, Introduced me to his, his partner, his man, Most Def, and we was cool, and we connected from there. So we didn't work till years later. I missed the whole first album when Most got on, because I was like, oh, shit, I'm telling niggas, like, that's my man. And niggas acting like we in jail. Hey, get the fuck out of here. You don't know that, nigga. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, um, yeah, so um, Most, I went to, you know, I, I would fuck with the industry parties, and sometimes not fuck with them, but, um, uh, 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 later on the management company that I was with, they were called, uh, it's M. Tume's son, the producer M. Tume. Ah, man, I can't think of the name of the company, but I was being managed by James M. Tume's son. Okay. And, you know, they had signed a, a jazz artist named Bilal Oliver, which is the jazz singer Bilal that we know now. So um, he had a party. So they like, yo, Minnie, come to the party. Come, it's you plus hire many one. I'm like, man, fuck that shit. So they haggled me so much, I ended up going. They was like, yo, the chicks is going to be there. So that was motivation. So it was, was like, yo, Bilal brings out the chicks. So I went down to the party. It was in the village. The shit was slamming. It was right by the World Trade Center. And um, I went. And when I went, I had a CD on me. And as I'm leaving, Mos Def is coming in. I'm like, yo, Mos, what up? He's like, yo, Mini. I handed him the CD. I didn't think nothing of it. Uh, that nigga called me about 48 hours later, like, yo, my nigga, come on. Let's make history. You got what I need. Because at that time, he was coming out of, he was coming off of a hiatus at that time. So that's when I got on his, um, I, I don't know if um, the new danger was a sophomore, but, you know, that was it with him. Okay. All right, so before most death, you're doing Pudgy the Fat Bastard, you're doing uh, Money Boss Players. I worked with uh, so many people, I can't even fucking remember. I worked oh, with I, Savannah. I, oh, I, 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 I got the list right here. Um, okay. When, when does Gemini the Gifted One come in? Gemini the Gifted One was my first placement. 
was that Mercury? Was that Mercury? Before him, it was a it was a group from North Carolina that was like De La Soul, and their names were Yag Fu Front. I remember and, them. Uh, right. And I did a skit on their album, you know what I'm saying? But I don't count that as my first placement because Gemini was the first real right. placement off of Mercury Records. And he was talking some shit that I could relate to, Brooklyn kids. I just loved it. You know what I'm saying? I've always had an affinity for Brooklyn people because my family is really from Brooklyn and Queens. So, you know, by situation, I was born and raised in the Bronx, but I really probably would have been a Brooklyn or a Queens nigga, you know? <laughs> okay. So uh you have a lot of history with Sadat X. Yeah. T talk about that relationship and how you guys came together. Um when I when I when I was working with Pooba, Brand Nubian was beefing. I think it was from Brand Pooba's album 2000. Right. And that was recorded in 1995. And that, uh, that, that, that was that was that was the Arista album, right? Was that on that yeah. Was, yeah. And um, we were working in Platinum Island Studios at the time, and um, they couldn't get Jamal to do the record, but they had this record called Play It Cool, and they squashed the beef on the record. So that was the first time I met Sadat when he came to cut his vocals, and we clicked from there. And Sadat is just a Sadat is just a real dude. Like he's just an honest human being. Like Sadat is just like Sadat. Sadat is nigga nigga, as I like to call it. <laughs> and I, the, the the records that you did with Sadat were on Stimulated Dummies. Was was that Dante Ross's label? Yeah, Dante Ross, another cool dude, man. That's my guy, Dante Ross. Right. Yeah, I I have all those twelve inches. Okay, okay. So you know yeah. your you know your hip hop. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and as a matter of fact, at that time, the group within us uh, called Boss Money they changed their name to High Times. They released a single with um Dante was stimulated at that time. You know. Okay. All right. So you're getting these credits. You 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 know you you getting your weight up. Naughty by Nature comes along. Right. I had no idea you did those songs by Naughty by Nature. Cause yeah. I, I I thought KG did all the production for Naughty by Nature. I had no idea. Those KG, that's my guy. Um, uh, Vinny and Tretch, those are my guys. And um, they they nigga nigga. Or, or really, Tretch might be nigga nigga. We had a basketball game, and I don't play basketball, but we you know we young, we talking shit. So Tretch is like yo the Bronx versus Jersey. So I'm like yeah, all right. So I go pick up some basketball wolves, right? And <laughs> the game was either in Newark or it was in, I don't know if it was in Newark or it was in Fort Lee, but a bunch of Bronx guys, we drove out there about five cars deep and we played with them. And it was real tense because I had the great relationship with Tretch and them, but it looked like niggas was going to fight because niggas was hacking each It was a football game. So I went and got my man. I got Brian from I got my man Brian from Bronx River. He got like two of his dudes. I had two dudes from Soundview, two dudes from Webster. And yo, we was just retarded, man. When you were young, you just retarded. Like growing up in the Bronx is just like we went out there, the game went well, you know, we pieced it up. And it was, it was really like, of course, we traveled to Jersey with guns. Because that was that was normal to, you know, in hip hop to run around with guns and a bunch of guys. So, but everything right. turned out good and that was it. We left and everything was clean and good, fine and dandy.
I think Tretch is one of the most underrated MCs ever. Very much so, man. Very talented, man. Very talented. I actually, um, you know, I had a, it, it, my friend Kwame, that's Money Balls, he can attest to this. I used to have a problem with, if I didn't like your verse, I would be like, yo, man, I don't like that. You shouldn't rhyme like that. You should rhyme like this. I told Tretch to slow it down on City of CeeLo. And Tretch <laughs> just looked at me like I was fucking crazy. Like, is you telling me how to rhyme but you know just being blatantly honest that's that's that you know right song came out fire though oh yeah man i love song working on fire them. yeah i like them guys man kg kg is a guy that i'm gonna hook up with you know what i'm saying because we connected on instagram and we didn't shout it back and forth at each other so you know i'm okay. gonna get with KG, you know okay uh you you mentioned you were uh you know around pooba a lot you produced amazing by Grand Pooba. I did what, four what? on that album. You did what? I did four on that album. I don't even remember did the you? cut. Okay. Yeah. We did six and four made the album. Okay. What was it? What was it like working with Poop? <laughs> Let me just say, in the music industry, I got all my bad habits from Pooba. <laughs> Pooba taught me how to be late to the studio. Wow. If anybody knows anything about Pooba, if the session start at nine, Pooba's coming one thirty-two in the morning. And most <laughs> deaf is most deaf is another one, the tardy studio niggas. Wow. Oh, so, so yeah. Are you are I start, you I started I started showing up early and using their studio time to record songs? Wow. That's yeah. nuts. So in the in this time, are you buying records to sample? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, man. And um, yeah, definitely, man. I, I, you what, know what? What, what's what, funny? what was your record collection looking like back then? <laughs> you know, it's so crazy because this record collection that I have here is there was a guy that owed me some money, right? And the nigga, I hadn't heard from him in a while, and then he called me out of the blue and he said, "Would you take my father's record collection?" as payment for the money that I owe you. And I said, hell yeah. And I got a U-Haul van and cleaned them out. And the good thing about it is his father was the Jamaican DJ from my neighborhood. His father was moving to Jamaica and didn't want to take the records. So I got, you know, I don't even know what I have now, but I have 10,000 records. Wow. You know? So, so back, so uh, back my, then. My record collection? Uh-huh. My, my my record collection, I could honestly sit here and say, my talent is by DNA, but the people who taught me, I'm the guy who wasn't from Forest Projects, but my mentor was always Showbiz, Showbiz number one. And after him, Lord Finesse, Diamond, and, and then other people. But my really, really coming from Soundview, at the time that I was doing music, I was the only nigga in the neighborhood doing music. Like all my friends was hustling and they laughed. Like, yo, where you going with those records? Yo, you a DJ? Yo, niggas used to be cracking up. But my digging was so, it was crazy because I, at the time, on the verges of coming up the street and going into music, I was given, I was collecting all of the crackheads records. Like everybody from my neighborhood of age, they write oh. me sometimes 
They write me sometimes and they joke me out like, yo, nigga, can I get a dollar for those records you took back in 93? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so when, so in New York, you know, in the 90s, like <laughs> producers would like click up, like, you know, Pete Rock would hang out with Large Professor. So you, you were just dolo by yourself. I was dolo, but I'm cool with everybody. Right. I've never I've never met Pete Rock. Um, and I might have I might have saw Pete Rock once or twice in, in person, but I've never met Pete Rock. But I was always cool with like my cousin is the is the guy who rhymed on faking the funk. Yo, am I frozen? No. Oh, okay. Well, I'm frozen on my screen, but um No, you good. My cousin is is Onika. Onika rhymed on um faking the funk with large professor. So I was always cool with Large and um, Lord Finesse, Diamond, Showbiz, uh, um, shit, man. I know I'm leaving people out. My own niggas that was under me, Sean Rader, Father Time. Um, I was just cool with all producers. Like I never, there's no, I've had beefs with some producers as of recent, but they're not even we we, we 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 gonna get into that. We gonna get into that. Right. <laughs> right. Uh. Um. I just lost my train of thought. Oh, when Deja Vu comes out, and you know they go through the 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 lawsuit and all that stuff, and then the and then the album. Did you did you do anything on the album? No. Why not? Well, look, right, me and Tariq have a repaired relationship now. And Tariq okay. has always been my guy. And, you know, I, I I was very mad at Tariq around that time because we were doing the Money Boss Player album at the same time he was doing the Deja Vu album. And, um, you know, Tariq ain't want to be around niggas. And at that time, many came with a... When I look back at it now as an adult, I probably came with a lot of niggas that Tariq didn't want to be around experiencing success at that time. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I looking at it as a man now, me being nigga nigga and having a lot of niggas around, probably <laughs> Tariq probably didn't want to deal with that shit. And my man was distant with me. Like we got to repair. I looked at it as shitty then, but I have a better understanding for things now. And um, I could see why a nigga probably wanted to distance himself from the kind of, you know, you know, the kind of apes and people that I had around. You know what I'm saying? So as an adult, man, now, you know, Tariq has always been my man, but, um, you know, he was fucking with me, but it was hard to get in contact with him. And this is my man. Like, we came up, we went through all the struggles together. Right. So, you know, I didn't see as a nigga was attaining success, we looked at it like, yo, he's shitting on us, but, you know, it was, it was probably elements that niggas didn't want around him, just to be honest, because him and Peter Guns would have words sometimes about, yo, why your crew ain't around, nigga? And Tariqa tell him, why your crew ain't around? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, they caught their success and that was that. But, you know, as it stands now, I can I can officially say me and Tariqa cool. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Um, you mentioned that you did some some work with De La Soul. Uh, what yeah. song? What song did you do for De La Soul? I've never seen a producer. Listen, listen. I'm hoping that I got the single. 
Um, it's it's still I, mean, I got the song. I, I I I got the song without their lyrics on it yet. They didn't even put the lyrics on it. But I I speak to me and Maceo is tight. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> Maceo confirmed that they're working again, and there's a possibility that I might have the single. And I would say it would be wise because the record I did for them got a a, a singer on it. And I, I adore her voice, man. Like, to work with her is a pleasure. Like, for me, just to work with a dope motherfucker is a pleasure. It's not about who you are, how many records you sold. I'll do something for a nigga in the street that got $1,500 to spend. You don't got to be... You don't got to be the richest or the nigga who sold the most records to, to create good work is good for me. That satisfies my soul. But the record that I did with um, De La Soul and Yummy is crazy. Yummy is amazing. Yummy Under is amazing. Under un underrated as a writer and a singer. Right. Amazing. Oh, she penned a lot of hits that we heard on the radio, though. I know. I know. But yeah, and you know, Yummy is Yummy is releasing a project, you know. She's releasing a project also, but um, yeah, man, I just say, you know, so far as producing, it's one of my favorite records because I never really got to work with R&B singers, and I could be a dope R&B producer too with ease. That's easy, no problem. But um, yeah, I, you you you, I, you did that uh uh Serengeti song with Serengeti. Um, oh shit, what was her name? Amber Sunshower. Amber Sunshower. Yeah, you know what? Amber Sunshower was Erica Badu before Erica Badu, and there's no disrespect to Erica Badu. I love Erica Badu. I love Jill Scott, but that was my first neo soul cut. But it was so earthy, it, it Serengeti planes didn't go where it was supposed to go. You know? Right. But yeah, on the Neo Soul, she was ahead of her time because nobody was doing that then. Right. She was one of the first ones before Bahamadia. She was one of the first of the first ones in that in the Neo Soul movement. You know what I'm saying? And I was supposed to work with Guapale, but I didn't get to work with her. But I, I love her stuff too. Okay. Um, talk to me about Irv Gotti. <laughs> Irv Gotti. Irv, Irv and them. I'm getting, first of all, I'm getting calls. Yo, niggas stole your beat, Mo. What you want to do? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? They're like, yo, your beat is, because, you know, niggas in the street that rhymed in the neighborhood, I will always give them my CDs as motivation. So this one particular day, I get like 14 calls. they like, yo, is Ja Rule and Lil Wayne stole your beat. And everybody will always come in and tell me this person stole your beat, this person. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So by the, by the sixth, seventh call, my, my, my blinkers is up. So I'm not, I've never been a person who listens to mainstream radio. I always listen to college stations and jazz and funk and like real music moves my soul. So whether it's now or back then, I was always listening to like alternative music. So after like the sixth one, now I'm out and turn to Hot 97, and there it is. I said, oh, shit. I contact my attorney. My, my attorney gets in contact with the right people. So my attorney connected with, you know, Irv Gotti's people. So we go down to Murder, Inc., right? And at this time, no lying, 50 Cent leveled these niggas. Like, it was... <laughs> 
Nah, nigga, I'm talking about, yo, Murder, Inc. fire sale. It was almost over. <laughs> so they, before that, before my record, they had clapped back. So, right. you know, they had a little fuel for the battle. The battle was almost, you know. So after that, they released my record, which was, was a banger. We went down to Murder, Inc., right? So, you know, keep in mind, they stole the beat. So I go down there, I got my linen shit on, I got my dashiki, I got a kufi on. You know, I'm, I'm a Bronx nigga, we switch it up. Nigga might have a suit on for a good party. You know, niggas from the Bronx, when we get fly, we get real fly in the Bronx. So when I came down there, I had on, I think I had on like some country Adidas and white linen, beige off bone linen pants, a bone dashiki and a, and a kufi. So when I stepped in there, Irv Gotti was down there with about 40 niggas. Cause you know, basically you steal a nigga shit, that means come. Nigga, nigga shit. So I get down there, it's me, my cousin, Andre, and my lawyer, Jason Bose at that time. So we went in and, um, you know, my vibe was just, you know, I was happy to connect, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and work with somebody. So, you know, cause I've always been an outside producer. I've never been in the industry. So by this time I'm learning that you had to connect with a family to get right in the industry. like. You're not going to get right in the industry unless you're with one of the major families, the major label or the major families. So, um, you know, I connect with Irvin them. I come in there. It's like 80 Queens niggas, brolic niggas, just, you know. So I come in and um, I retract the beat for them. And, you know, we worked everything out, legal paperwork, produced by Minnesota, da-da-da, and that was that. You know what I'm saying? So. Um, yeah, Irv is a trip though. Irv is Irv is like a blatantly honest, retarded, bugged out nigga. Like you know, I like the nigga. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Irv is no, Irv is cool. When we was in the studio, Irv was like, "Yo, yo, we was trying to steal this shit so bad. What did you do to it?" Because <laughs> they couldn't, they couldn't do it. They couldn't get it. The way I, it's a secret that I have as a producer on the ASR. Where if you're a producer and you're trying to steal, if I'm chopping, you're uh -huh. gonna have a hard time. Getting the and and I never knew that what I was doing was correct to Irv exposed it to me there because he was like yo we trying to play this shit over we trying to chop it we couldn't do it <laughs> you know um Craig Mack God bless Craig rest in peace very very outspoken. Didn't get along with Diddy. And it's funny because with Craig Mack, um, I wanted to get over the bad boy. I'm not going to hold you. You know, I knew I had to say that was like, you know, everything, everything I was doing was like the Benjamins. I got, I got that kind of sound. If I could, you know, even though I didn't do the Benjamins, I am the Benjamins. That's, that's me. I get down, you know what I'm saying? But, um, Craig, Craig was just, I don't know, man. Craig was just like a hip hop nigga. And um, I'm not gonna say a street person, but he wasn't, he wasn't ready for commercial, commercial success. He didn't get it. He wasn't ready for that level of stardom. And it happened for him, but it's like he fought against everything Puffy was trying to do for him. <clears throat> and I was trying to get over there, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Me and Craig was cool, man. You know, Craig was a um, 
Craig was an ill nigga, man. You know what I'm saying? Very ill. And Easy Mo, shout out to Easy Mo B. Easy Mo B is my man. I had a lot of unreleased records with Craig that were incredible because he brought out a real electronic side of me so far as production. I could do real weird, wild sound and shit with Craig. And all of the records I did with him got lost in the fire at the Damn. Sugar Hill Studios. And it's just like, there's one called Brand New Nigga that I did that's on YouTube that sped up so fast it don't sound right. But um, I did I got Brand New Nigga and then Craig Mack really had a record called Fuck Y'all Niggas and that's my word. Fuck y'all niggas with this, that, and the third. Like he was anti-success. And that's the only thing I could say, but Craig was really like a person who was a standoffish person and wanted mm -hmm. to be, and I could see where he would clash with anybody because Craig was Craig was a bug down nigga, you know what I'm saying? But he was dope as hell, and that voice. But, but what's crazy? His tracks were boom bap. They just happened to be in the clubs, right? Like he he wasn't he he wasn't purposely making commercial music, but his radio just gravitated towards what was the joint that uh I think uh, Q Tip is sampled on the hook. Like DC radio was was playing the hell out of that song. Right, right. You from DC, man? Yeah. Yo, that's crazy. My whole family is down there. They all Mitchells. Oh. I just okay. discovered them. They used to own the junkyards and shit down there. Mm. Southeast. Yeah. Okay. Off, off of Southern Southern and Wheeler. Yeah. Yeah. I got a big tribe in DC. My whole father's side, which unfortunately I just connected with them back on Facebook because they have a family reunion. So yeah, I'm I'm happy about that, but I don't know. But I got a thousand Mitchells down in DC. They they huge, you know. It's a small world, man. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So let's talk about how Big Pun, not a player, came about. Let me let, let me let me preface this with when I first heard that beat, I was like, "There's no way the OJ's let this song go." With I'm not a player. I just fuck a lot. I was like, there's no way they cleared this until I saw the official 12-inch for it. I'm going to try and be brief with Pun because I've, I've did about five, six interviews on Pun. We grew up together. He was Dirty Chris, you know, dirty little Puerto Rican kid in the neighborhood. And I want to say his aunt and his uncle was down with the cold crush. So we, the neighborhood... Got all their cold crush tapes from Wimpy and Angie. The next fucking day, we'd have the cassette and sound. And the kids would have it because I was a child at that time because we played, Pun's uncle was Wimpy and I played on Wimpy's baseball team. So, um, I mean, we were so thirsty for cold crush tapes that I would be in my, my window overlooked the drug block in Soundview, which was Cozy Corner. And I would be in my window with my box on record, recording the hustlers downstairs playing the, the Cold Crush tape. Pun's um, family was connected to the Cold Crush. So um, Pun grew up with us. And then Soundview back at that time, we only had about three or four Puerto Rican families in the project that were like a part of, you know, just being out and about. like. Like, really, like, oh, they Puerto Rican, but these niggas is black. They carry themselves black. They dress black. 
and pun ended up being one of them. So um, keep it honest and tell you the truth. Pun was in the game at one point. I'm surprised his criminal record never came up. Uh, pun was with the shits. <laughs> no, 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 literally. And then um, after catching, after catching a few cases, the the Italians that owned the pizza shop, Bob and Umberto, they took him under the wing, and then he had a job in the pizza shop. And he was still just dirty, Chris. You know what I'm saying? He just once he stopped hustling, he was working. He let his shit get shabby and all that. I know something happened with him, and I think the police came for him. He jumped out a window and he broke both his legs. He used to work out. He used to be like really physically fit. He jumped out a window when he broke his legs. That's when he put that weight on. Okay. Okay. And um, I bumped into him in the Bronx on Southern Boulevard, and I heard somebody calling me by my government name, Mark. But I knew it was somebody that knew me because they were making fun of how my grandmother used to call me out the window. And um. He was on Southern Boulevard. We was in front of a store named Blueprint where we buy our gear at. And um, I walked over to him and I'm looking. He's like, yo, Mark, why are you looking at me like that? Man, it's Chris. Yeah, I bust out laughing. I'm like, yo, what the fuck happened to you? <laughs> so, so he's like, yo, Mark, man. Yo, Mark, man. I'm Big Moon Dog. I'm a rapper. And I'm looking at this nigga like this 300-pound nigga, 400-pound nigga's a rapper. And, um, you know, from there... I always, I always made it my business when I was out. I kept music on me. I gave him a CD, and that CD had a bunch of shit. He loved a bunch of my shit, but um, he took that one for that. He took that one for his for his commercial release. So I got up with him. After he was like, "Yo, I'm not Big Moon Dog no more. I'm Big Punisher." <laughs> I'm like, I'm still not getting it. We go in the studio. And, and yo, this nigga got a deal. Yo, this nigga is the only nigga that got a deal. We struggled with record companies. This nigga, Chris, got a deal. I was like, how the fuck do you get a, get a deal? And I laughed when I looked at Steve Rifkin say on an interview, yo, I gave him a deal because he showed up on time. No one ever showed up on time in rap. <laughs> and, and you know that nigga? That nigga, yo, that nigga just, he's a sound, he was a Soundview nigga. He was a Soundview Puerto Rican. Everybody can't do what he did. At the end of the day, that nigga had a certain Genesee qual about him that was just in him. You know what I'm saying? Before Soundview was a was a gangster block. It was a gangster block. If you understand what I'm saying, it was um like a real you know people dressed, people wore fur coats, people wore nice leathers. It was it was that community where our Puerto Ricans on my side of town wasn't like the Beach Street Puerto Ricans. Our Puerto Ricans was flamboyant, you know what I'm saying? Like big Cuban links and driving BMWs. It wasn't like they wasn't like, and I'm not saying the South Bronx niggas didn't end up having they figures like Boy George and Chicky and them, but Soundview Puerto Ricans was different. Castle Hill Puerto Ricans was different. They had a different flavor. Tell me, tell me about this. Tell me about the session for I'm not a player. Uh. He laid it down, and I liked it. I wasn't in love with it, but I liked it. And I was is, like, is, oh. is, 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 "Is Fat Joe in the studio with you guys?" No, no, no. Okay, no, no. You know what I'm saying? And um, the funny thing was, I I liked it. I liked the record, but I wasn't crazy about it. You know, when you're in a record in the studio, you listen to a record over and over. 
And I'm like, oh shit, Chris killed this shit. Like this nigga, he has some talent. I didn't know it was gonna be what it was. You know what so, I'm saying? So, so, so you didn't believe in him until after this record. I never heard him. <laughs> I didn't know how he got a fucking deal. Nigga was 400 pounds. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. So, but it so was you... fun. It was fun. He's a childhood friend, so it was fun reconnecting with a nigga from when I was 12, 13, 11, 10 years old. So you 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 make this record. You take it to Steve Rifkin. You play it for him. What does he say? I didn't take it to Steve. Pun had the deal already. Wow. The nigga got okay. a deal like he got a deal like this. So so what 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 music did he play for Steve um, Rifkin? I don't know what he played for Steve Rifkin. Steve Rifkin said in the interview, "I gave him a deal because he showed up on time." Did you? Did you when when clubs and DJs and radio picked up that single? Did you know how big that record was? No, because once again, as a musician and as a producer and as a ghostwriter, I always wanted to be kind of behind the scenes. I never wanted to deal with no frontman work. I never wanted to do none of that shit. I was the guy the, to this day, the money boss players get mad at me because I'm like, yo, shit kick off. We're doing New York last. We're not doing New York first. And they like, yo, why are you like that? Them niggas are perform. Them niggas are perform in the fucking pool hall. Them niggas, <laughs> them niggas, <laughs> niggas, niggas, and it's just when like, when when I was DJing, uh after after the remix came out, I was still playing the original version. The yeah. remix is dope, but I was still playing the original version with the OJs. Right. Right. I mean, um, yeah, it was it was a good look, man. I mean, the, the OJs took everything. They took a hundred percent. Oh them, and I you know, I just knew pocket-wise, I made money off of the record. I'm not gonna sit here and lie, but I knew pocket, I thought pocket-wise, I was going to outer space off of this. <laughs> <laughs> you know how Jeff Bezos sent up the fake rocket? I just knew. Wow, they took a hundred. And, 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 and they probably charged them for the video. Yes. 40,000 40, to be exact. Eddie LeVert was getting his money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I got Shout there. I showed, up, I showed up for the video late. And I think, if I'm correct, that's where I met um, CNN, Capone Noriega there. I know, yo, you back then, coming out of New York, rapping, everybody kind of knew knew each other, or there was a six degree of separation, and it wasn't really no trouble. There was shit happening, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. um, I think my Bronx guys and Naughty by Nature almost got into it at the taping of, I think it was something called New York Undercover, because another guy that I'm real tight with is Ice T. Ice T. Anytime I could catch up to him and get with him, Ice-T was always pivotal in giving me game. Ice-T was one of the people that he gave me a lot of mature aspects and how to move in the music. And just Ice-T has always been my nigga. Like, that's my guy, you know? Okay. So uh, when, <laughs> when, when do you do Junior Mafia and Little Kim? After, this is after pun. Yo, listen. Um, 
The first time I ever met Biggie Smalls was through my man, Mateo Capilango, Maddie C. And Maddie had a show at the Mars. And this is a this is a show where I actually got on stage and me and Lord Tariq performed with Biggie that night in the Mars. And um that's where I met Biggie. And Maddie was like, yo, this is this is my man, da-da-da, unsigned hype for the source. And I'm like, all right, cool. Another big Brooklyn nigga. You know what I'm saying? Because at that time in the industry, coming into rap. You really had to look like fucking um I'll be sure Christopher Williams to <laughs> Right. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't get it at that time. And you know what I'm saying? I didn't get it, but I was always cool with Big. Um, I always kept in contact with him. And as he grew, he always loved my production. So um, you know, whenever I could catch up to Biggie, I would, you know. So how, how did how did you get on the Little Kim album? Through Big, man. Big, you know, the funny thing, um, the, the funny thing was um, when I hear Cameron talk, right, Cameron said he went to Un and he told Un, yo, I'm the guy that Big wanted to sign. I'm the other guy that Big wanted to sign because we were sitting in the Land Cruiser and um, it was... um. Uh, me, Buster Rhymes, Biggie was in the co-pilot, Buster was in the driver's seat, and me, Sal Black from the Money Boss Players, Father Time sitting in the back seat, and my cassette is playing, we just rhyming off of beats. And, um, you know, I was like, yo, Big, I got something. And I went in, I, I, got the, I got my part, and I said a rhyme, and I saw Big look back at me with that cock eye, like, <laughs> like what the fuck so um you know after after everything everything is said and done we go back across the street to big's mom's house and all the junior mafia and all of them is over there and actually when we were sitting in the land cruiser little c's and the other dude from junior mafia was fighting with um damn damn i can't think of homeboy's name man but he's one of the guys that he manages like uh celebrities and stuff now but um Big was like, yo, nigga, he said, I'm going to make you a rapper. And I was like, nah, Big, I don't rap. I just go straight. He said, you a rapper now. And I didn't argue with him. I just left it at that. <laughs> so, you know, the, the day that Big got killed, I was on the phone earlier that day. And he said something to me. He was like, yo, when I get back to New York, I'm signing you and Buck Wild. Wow. Yo, Y'all niggas got what I need. That would have, oh man, spoke, we missed I spoke out. To him. Yeah, I spoke to him the night, he, the day he got killed. Three hours behind, I spoke to him about six in the evening, and I was with my man Sean Rader, who's another Money Boss producer. My man came mostly as somebody else, and I was talking to Big on the phone. And, you know, I'm with my friends, we got the sauce, we walking down the block. It was about six o'clock, New York time, and, um, you know, he was just dead that night, man. He just got murdered that night. And that was it, you know? And I told him, I said, yo, big, man, yo, be careful in Cali. I didn't understand him being out there. Like, it's like- it was, hot, it, was hot, it was hot at the time for big out there. Yeah. You know, and I didn't go deep into it because I don't like to bring that energy. 
But right. I'm gonna tell you something. When I hung up that phone with him, we were reading the source. And when I got to the back page of the source, there was a picture of him with the coffin, and I think I don't know if it was him and Faith. And I said, Oh shit, he mocked himself. Why would he do that? And I must have called back the number 20 times that he called me from. Cause at that point, I was beyond scared for him. At that point, I was like, yo, nigga, chill. Get the fuck out of there. That's what I wanted to tell him. <clears throat> I never got to tell him. That phone just rung, 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 and rung that they called me from. I never got to tell him. Okay, damn. Now, I, I want to go to one of my other favorite songs that you produce other than, you know, the big pun song. Ghostface Beat the Clock. That song right there... Ghostface snapped on that. Yo, listen, right? What I'll say is this, right? I don't know how Ghostface got the CD, but he got it. We went in the studio. He did the vocals. And I just was laughing to myself because, you know, being from uptown, being from the, the Bronx and Harlem have these similarities, right? So I'm cracking up laughing because he got this chain on. And all I'm thinking about is a line he said on the other on another song. We said King Tut piece, the size a little more Reese. Like once you start getting <laughs> out to Queens and Brooklyn and Staten Island, they had a they they had like a, like Brooklyn niggas, Queens niggas, Staten Island. Their jewelry was too big, and that's hilarious to us uptown. So the truck jewelry, like he came in the studio. I don't know if it was a cup with diamonds on it. But I was cracking up to myself like, yo, these niggas is so Brooklyn, New York. Like, that's that Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island. They just, yo, he had a, yo, he had a chain on his neck. Like, it looked like it was holding his neck down, my nigga. Like, yo. <laughs> did, 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 did he had have... on, yo, listen, and he had on Wonder Woman, Mansa Musa Wonder Woman bracelets with like, <laughs> Birds, like I was just, I was just. He, a he had the eagle. He had the eagle on his arm. Yo, listen, those niggas is too New York. Like you could be so New York, but those niggas is too New York. And when they would be around each other and shit, and they'd be building, them niggas was like, they their slang is so ill. I ain't know what the fuck they was talking about. Nobody you know does. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. The fans nigga. don't. The fans definitely we don't know. We was we in Mystic, with them, Yo, we was in Mystic Studio one night and Raekwon and Ghost was like, you know, they was building and they talking they shit. And he was like, word, God, gotta sneak one in the back. So I'm looking at this is I don't know what the fuck these niggas is talking about, but it felt uncomfortable. That's all they were saying. <laughs> well, we sneak one. Yo, I swear to God, man, because at this time, but also. Alongside of us doing the Money Boss project, we teamed up with some guys, which turned out to be Feds Magazine. So we were doing, I was helping with Feds Magazine in its embryonic stages before the first issue was even out. So I ran around with them before we had our fallout. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, um, yo, man, but that was, a, it was tense because uh, um, at the time, my guy from Feds Magazine, which is Antoine Clark, who's the sole proprietor now, but um, Tron has a, a sarcastic way with words, and him and Ghost got into it. So now I'm like, yo, it's just maybe two of us 
and it's like a thousand Wu Tang niggas in there, and Twan and Ghost is getting into it, and then all these niggas are saying word God sneak one in the back. So I'm like, oh shit, sneak one in the back. I know what a sneak a nigga in the back mean, but it I, I, it was tense. Everything went cool. We left. It was cool. That was that. But um, yeah, I like the Wu niggas, man. I like the Wu niggas. So you know, good relationship with Ghost. If I come across him, and um, you know, Raekwon. Uh, my man makes the clothing. My man Torre makes the clothing for Raekwon. So you know, it's it, they not they not they not hard to access. You know what I'm saying? But those guys are my guys. You know. Okay. All right. Now, <clears throat> let's get to uh Kanye West beat jacking. Yo, you know what? I'm gonna say this right. And, and, and for the first thing I want to say is like. <clears throat> I, I've always looked at beat thievery as flattery. I don't know why I looked at it like that. There are other records out there that are just as big as the Missy Elliott Monica record that Kanye took. Now, let me tell you what happens with musicians. I find a CD. It's a hot beat on it. I'm loving the beat. I don't know who produced it. I got a song to it. I put some drums over it, have a nigga put R&B over it, play it. It's out there. The musical mind, the hardest test that, the hardest part for you is, it's like when Irv Gotti and then put my record out. I think Kanye and then put the record out and didn't know who did it and took the credit for it. So it says, produced by Kanye, produced by Missy Elliott. They split it down. So so, so for, for, for the people that don't know, what was, what was the song? The record is Missy Elliott and Monica, knock, knock, knocking at my door. Okay. So, um, I, like I say, as a producer, like, you know, I never did it. I never took nobody's shit. The only thing that I did do, and I will admit to it, is <laughs> I, I, I did. I, I stole a hi-hat. And I didn't <laughs> steal it. No, no, I didn't steal it to steal it. Like, oh, I'm going to use it. It was Pharrell's hi-hat. Pharrell. Because I, I got to go down to Virginia to work with Pharrell and we were working in Future Sound Studio. I'm gonna come back, right? And okay. um, he had a beat in the eight, cause eight, Pharrell is an ASR man too. So <clears throat> he wasn't in the studio. And I, when I listened, when, I, when, when Pharrell changed the face of music, first of all, he made everything electronic. But when he would do his drums, he had me puzzled as to how he had such a real sounding drum like you can tell a sample and you can tell a machine when pharrell first came out it was something about his drums that was incredible that nobody did like i say he changed the face of music and i come to find out that he was just recording his drums by hand until he got them perfect and he wasn't using the quantize so he would go through eight bars of this and it would give it a sound like a nigga was playing the actual sample as a drum and i was fucked up like, yo, I always wanted to know what he was doing. And then he would leave air in front of his hi-hat. So you were always getting the, it really sound like, if you go back and you listen to Pharrell's production, and that shit was puzzling me, and it puzzled me so bad. So I stole Pharrell's hi-hat. <laughs> so I had to find out what it was. It was, it was bothering my, it was bothering me in my gut. Like, yo, what is he doing? So, so yeah. How did how did how did Missy get your beat? I back in those days you left CDs around. All producers ran around with CDs. And 
my CD, nigga might have, yo, I might have gave my CD to an artist and they might have forgot it in the studio and the next session came in and the motherfucker found it. Because, um, look, man, you know what? Tonight for your show, I'm going to say this. And not to badger any producers or anything like that, but I got Beyonce's Naughty Girl. I did a record. I left that CD down in the Hit Factory in Miami at the time with Scott Storch's manager, Miami Mike. <clears throat> I hear Beyonce's Naughty Girl. It's an interpolation of a song that I have, and my song lines right up with it. Mine's was a wow. sample, and it goes. And I hear Beyonce's Naughty Girl. And my song lines up exactly with it. So I come to find out, Scott Storch produced the song. At the time, Miami Mike, who I met through most definitely when I was down there, I left him a CD of beats. Scott Storch. Replayed then, it. All right, I'm like, all right, maybe I'm bugging. Then Scott Storch produced the record, Bean, and da 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 Now I'm like, okay, it's clear. Nigga is that's that's you. Yo, listen, I'm I can't say it's me, but I can say it's me from producer to a producer aspect, right? Because mine's was but theirs was so once again. So then so then um there was another beat. Now this one is just this one is somewhat of a somewhat of a reach. Um, out of the bad boy camp, when they did the record for Big, we'll always love Big Papa. I had a, a similar a similar kind of record, but that record was a play over of my record and slower. You know what I'm saying? So it's just shit like that. Like that, you know, I didn't think nothing of it, but then Max B the greatest comes out. And now that's another, that's that's my beat. But on, on it was only on a mixtape, but it says produced by Dane Grease. <laughs> so now I'm like, you know, and I, like I said, I'm not mad. I don't want to run into these niggas and have a shootout or I don't give a fuck. I'm just more careful with my music now. Right now, I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't even have the website where you could buy beats from me. And everybody say, put up a website. And I'm like, I'm going to get all my throwaways together and get them on the website, but not my A1s. Niggas will get my B2s. And you can steal those all day. So there's a comment by a Big Bad Show. He says, I have four beat CDs of his, and I not and I never got any of them from him. <laughs> Yo, listen, I was, you know, I, I bought, the, bought the tower, and I was mass, produ mass producing my CDs and throwing them all over. I was giving, yo, listen, because you know what? I wasn't with none of the family. So for me, I had to work harder as a producer. I was like, I was a straggler outside. I was never with Bad Boy. I was never with G-Unit. The closest I got <clears throat> to, to family and up with niggas that was Irv Gotti. You know what I'm saying? And at that time, 50 had threw a grenade in the office because it, it was over. No, I'm serious. Because, um, <clears throat> When I gave them the joint and Lil Wayne and Ja Rule was on, uh-oh, that record was getting ready to be major. 
But at Bronx Energy, I wasn't, you got to understand at that time, I wasn't doing music. I was running around, you know, trying to break my neck, doing some shit that could have got me 20 years in federal prison. So, um, and it's funny because when I got my money from music, put it right in the street mm. at that time. But, um, you know, at that time, um, um, I thought it was on. I was ready to do music again. And it's like that Bronx energy, whatever I was dealing with in my life was in that record. Them niggas got caught. The first show they did together, they both got knocked with hammers on both sides of the town on the same night. And who, 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 was that, who was this? Ja Rule got caught with a gun and Lil Wayne got caught with a gun and ended up doing time. Uh, okay. And I felt like I, at that time for what I was doing in my life, I felt like I jinxed them. I felt real guilty. Like I jinxed them because y'all niggas is two multi-platinum successful rappers. And I felt the life that I was living at that time, I felt like I jinxed them. So I had a lot of guilt behind that because I was feeling good. Like that shit is coming on. The crowd is going crazy. I heard when they did the show in the Beacon Theater, the crowd went crazy when they performed that shit. And yo, shit happens, man. You know, that didn't happen. And, you know, uh, um, uh, Murder Inc. went away. I mean, like, I really saw where I went down there one day and the room got smaller and <laughs> the room got smaller and pieces of the studio was missing. The speakers were gone. And I, I mean, that, it just happened, man. But I'm the, I work with anybody, man. You know what I'm saying? As long as you dope, I'll work with you. You know what I'm saying? But I yeah. like not the, you know, I didn't give a fuck about the Queen's beef at that time with 50 and Murder Inc. I don't give a fuck about that, nigga. Whoever's paying me, I'm going to come out and I'm going to show up and I'm going to work. Okay. Now, let's let's fast forward to uh, you in a hospital. Oh, yeah, man. Um, uh, September 14th, last year, I had a brain aneurysm. You know? And uh, with this one right here, like, you know, there's something I learned about life. And I just got to say this on this thing. Like, you know, I learned something about, I, I learned more and more as I go along, but speaking from a place of wisdom, you never get away from the energy you put out. I would say me and my friends and my peer group, we destroyed a lot of people's lives. You know, there, there was, there was one time in my life where I could have probably been damn near considered a mid-level trafficker, you know? And you don't get away from that energy. The things you do, you never get away from. That shit may come back to your fucking children. And, you know, I, I, I pray to the source that, you know, I, I learned my lesson and I'm not trying to go out there and, you know, be that guy again. You know, just the things you deal with, they come back and they touch you. You never escape the energies you put out. I'm not going to call it karma, but what you're invested in, will come back and visit you one day. Because when I fell out from the brain aneurysm, I was conscious for a while. And I lost control of my whole body. And um, I asked the source to forgive me for selling crack to this particular family when I was 13, 14 years old, out of all the people in the world. Because when I was growing up in Soundview, there was a particular family 
and you know they they, they were the, the Figueroa family out of Shelby, and their sister was a partner. Me and her hustled together, and um, she she would be like, "Yo, I can't serve my sisters. You do it." And um, you know, I for for their family members who were getting high at that time, I was always the the the, the direct pipeline for them. And you know, I really always felt guilt having the connection to that family, seeing what they were going through all through my life. And I didn't, I never knew how I could repay them, or I just felt guilty. You know what I'm saying? But out of you know my life, this is fucking 30 years ago. I come in my house, and when I fell out, I, I, <clears throat> my mind, my heart, and my soul, <clears throat> I asked the creator for forgiveness for what I had did to that family. But yeah, I had a brain aneurysm and, um, you know, it was just me and my son here. I called him, I laid down on the floor because at this point I lost control of my body. I didn't know what happened to me and mm. I felt like I was gonna die. So I told him, I said, yo, get daddy's hot water, make me some hot water. So he went, he poured, he poured me the water and then he put cayenne in it. And I drunk it, but I was laying down. So when I drunk it and I was laying down, I um, I was I was I was, I was cool. Everything had kind of like seized whatever was going on with me. And um, due to the fact that I was laying down when I drunk the water in the cayenne, because if you if you're going through anything with respiratory, you know I'm into holistic herbs. If you're having a heart attack and you can get some water and cayenne in you, you will cease the heart attack. And then they get you to the hospital, and then you take it from there. But it will stop the, you know, whatever's going on respiratory. I knew something was really wrong with me because I was, I felt like I was losing body function. So when I was laying on the floor, I threw up because I drunk the cayenne laying down. So my son, I just, I'm going back in the vortex now. Shit is starting to spin again, and I hear my son say. Oh, first, first of all, he came and laid on the floor with me in the kitchen. He was like, yo, dad, this is cool. He said, we got to do this more. This is fun because I'm laying on the floor in front of my refrigerator. He lays down with me. So when I threw up, he jumped up and it's getting blurry and, and everything is starting to spin again. And he said, dad, you lied to me. He said, something is wrong with you. You can't do this to me. Mommy died the same way because his mother died in front of his face. And um, that, when I heard him say that, that shit pulled me up out the vortex. I used a little bit of strength I had, and I pushed myself up against the 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 the, the closet, the, the cabinets under the sink. And he called nine one one for me, so my son saved my wow. life. So you wow. know that's it. The, the, the paramedics came, and um, I'm drinking water and cayenne, putting as much of it as I can into my system. And um, and, and at this point, the paramedics, they come, they arrive. And and at this point, I thought I was I thought I was dead because I pissed and I shit on myself. I couldn't hold up like I didn't have no control of my body. They picked me up they put me on the stretcher. And this is all I can remember. They took me down. And as they took me down, I heard them saying something like, yo, his oxygen ain't right. He don't have oxygen. 
I remember them rolling me down, putting me in the in the um ambulance, and that was all I remember. And um they took me to the hospital, and from the hospital, they put me in a helicopter and they flew me to Yale New Haven. And when they got me to Yale New Haven, um, you know, I was put into a medically induced coma. And um I was supposed to be under in the coma for allegedly four to five weeks, but I woke up in 29 hours. Now, I attribute this by accident two months before I had the brain aneurysm. You know, my, my, you know, my girl is vegan and we didn't plan it or anything, but she's just making vegan food. She's cooking vegan. She's cooking vegan. And I just, two months before I had the brain aneurysm, I just stopped eating meat. So I can only imagine what that brain aneurysm would have been like if I was eating all type of greasy food and I had all that shit in my system. So, you know, I mean, the source has a way of, you know, the higher power has a way of, um, you know, I, I'm protected, man. I've been through a lot of shit, man. I've been shot in my head before. I've been shot on different occasions, playing around in the streets. I played hard when I was out there and I went through a lot of different things and no, I just got spiritual protection, man. That's all I could, some type of, you know, some, some, yo, God is like, I like you, motherfucker. The higher power <laughs> source is like, I like you. Because, you know, um, yeah, man, I've been through some things, man. But that was that. Um, I was supposed to be in a coma for five weeks for the medication they put me. I woke up in 29 hours. And this was September 14th of last year. I wasn't coherent. I was up, I was talking to people, but I wasn't coherent until my birthday, October 6th. Wow. So, um, you know, I, I looked at that as a, a birthday gift from the source, the higher power. And that was, that was, it was weird to me. You know, I'm not a person like I'm not into Allah. I'm not one that's into Jesus. I do believe there's a God and I do believe there's a source, whether it be male, female, male, whatever, the spirit, the universe, whatever it is. And you know, I, I I have a a different appreciation for God because there was too many things that were too coincidental where the universe was speaking to me like, nah, nigga, I exist. You playing around. You know what I'm saying? So, you mm -hmm. know, I got my, you know, I'm learning, I'm learning how to give it up to the source and and, and be more in tune with the higher power too. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, because I was I wouldn't say I was an atheist, but I ain't give a fuck about it. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not. I definitely, you know what I'm saying, me and my crew at younger ages was like, yo, nah, white Jesus, get out of here with that shit. We was those guys hanging with the pop sinners and all that. So I'm not, I respect everybody's religion now because I wasn't a religion respecter. I'm not going to sit here and act like, you know, I was a religion respecter, but you know, the, 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 the higher power, the source definitely got something, some things for me to do. And it's a reason that I'm here, you know? So exactly. exactly, I survived that, and I'm happy, man. You know what I'm saying? Because I definitely wasn't a God-fearing man at one time, but I definitely understand that there is a God, there is a source, and not just because I got my ass bust by the higher power. <clears throat> but um, you know, I've been dragged in my life. My life is a, my life is one of a, a person who was committed to hustling and doing terrible things in his community. Because you know, sometimes we don't look at it. We contribute to our demise. So, you know, 
that energy came back and it zapped me, man. It hit me. And um, I'm happy to be here. I have a total different appreciation for life. And, you know, I, I, I got revenge out of my heart. One of the biggest battles I've had in my life was with revenge, man. You know what I'm saying? And what, how you're supposed to play it. Man, if I got to go back to the projects and kill a nigga that's sleeping on his girl's futon or another nigga that's struggling like me, like, I get it, man. I'm, I'm past yeah. it. And it was a real hard thing to get past because, you know, I would say being from the Bronx, the Bronx breeds some stupid niggas. And when I say stupid, I'm not saying ignorant. I'm talking about niggas that's committed to the lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? So we with the shits, all of us are gangsters up there. It's not one person in the Bronx. The nigga that is coming knocking on your door with Jehovah Witness books is a gangster. You know, like I say, Lottie Dottie, you could be a nigga's first body. You know what I'm saying? But you know, um, I'm just happy to be alive. I got a new appreciation for life and I don't got no beef with nobody. I might have people who are mad at me, you know, one or two people, but otherwise than that, man, I don't give a fuck about negativity on any level. You know what I'm saying? The only way I would kill a motherfucker and get a good night's sleep is if there was something threatening right in my face. You're going to get it. But otherwise than that, man, I'm here to make good music, make good money, take care of my family, come back to my community and do good things. That's it, you know? Word. So speaking of music, what, what, what do you have coming up next, music-wise? Hey, I've said this right now. <clears throat> right now, I, yo, I'm not really concerned with working with people, but if I come across certain people, I will. And I've been saying this for a while, but um, I, I would love for the for the locks. Me and Jadik has always been tight, you know what I'm saying? And um, I just released an album called Once Upon a Handshake. So with the current state of music, I'm not mad at the kids. I like what they do. And I'm glad the elder statesmen are getting back in to get their shit off. Because I want to hear Hove, nigga. I want to hear Jay-Z. I want to hear that. I want to hear... Benny the Butcher. I want to hear my money boss players. I want to hear boss money. I want to hear Eddie Cheap. I want to hear Trey Back. I want to hear that kind of music. So, in essence, if it comes, if it if it comes across, if it comes to me, I'll do it. And I'm not really chasing artists around and stuff like that no more. You know what I'm saying? I'm happy. I'm connected with the locks. Those are my niggas. I make a call. I'm down there. That's that's no problem. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm working out of a studio. And, and, and Norwalk, Connecticut, I fuck with them sometimes, from time to time, so no studios. Um, I'm just here to do positive shit, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's it. You, but, you, um, you, know, you know the locks um, rhymed over uh, the Pudgy the Fat Bastard sample maybe about what, four years ago. What about Think, Think Big? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are my guys, man. Those are yeah. my guys. It was dope. It was called New York. Yo, listen, you know, it's so crazy because um, that group of niggas, I'm going to have a crazy chemistry with them because I'm going to give them niggas like nine Benjamins. Like the joints they took from me, is, the joints they took from me is mean. But I got some other kind of shit for them. That's like, those are my guys. I call Dazel down there. You know what I'm saying? Like I get along with niggas, man. Like they produce as my man, Dazel. I called Dazel. I'm down there. We off to the races. I can't. I can't wait to hear this. Nah, I I I maxed out with them. Like, and, and I'm not finished. You know what I'm saying? I was gonna go in the house with them because, you know, I've had these. Look, man, my life has been like this: valleys and peaks. 
When I was younger, I had no fucking financial training. And now, dope boy mentality, I'm running around, I'm getting checks, little Kim check coming, 70,000. I'm just doing nigga shit. So in a sense, I, I, I could really sit here and say, I wasn't doing the right thing with my money. I had money to, I could have built the fucking complex with the money I made. I ended up owning Eternal Revenue Service, a bunch of money. They seized all my accounts. Um, child support and the IRS came at the same time. Damn. What, what do I do? Oh, I'm cocky. I'm not going to be broke. I'm going back in the street. And that led me on another bad journey, but it also cleaned my mind as to how to deal with money as an adult. Because now I'm not a kid um, going to Washington, D.C., going to Springfield, Massachusetts, to be in somebody's town, being a menace. Now I'm breaking everything down. I got to have put back. I got to have. So now I'm really intricately learning how to deal with my money and not being a jerk for the first time in my life. So I know how to do it financially now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you know what? One, I want to double back real quick. One artist that I had no idea that you produced for. Yeah. And it surprised me when you, when you sent me this name. Trick Daddy. Oh, man. Yo, when I was how, with, did, when I was how did you connect with Trick Daddy? When I was with when I when I got with the I think all through my career I've only been with three management teams. I was first with Mechadon Management, which is Roger Romain, Max Goose, and Jerry Griffith. And as you know, Max Goose was the senior vice president of Def Jam at one time. Um, Trick Daddy. When I got with the second management team, that was Moyo Music, which was Art Martin and Faolo M. Tuming. I'm sorry, I be forgetting. I'm sorry, Artie. Um, <clears throat> this is. <clears throat> This is James M. Tumay's son and James M. Tumay's nephew, nephew, God bless his soul, Damu M. Tumay. So Damu handled the West Coast and Fa and Art Martin, Faolo M. Tumay and Art Martin handled the East Coast. So um, they, um, they had that connection with um, Santana. Santana from Slip and Slide Records was managing Trick Daddy and Trina at that time. I got records of Trina that never came out. Bomb. Bomb shit. So um, I went down to Florida and I connected with them niggas. And the funny thing was, like, um, I don't know if it's some Bronx shit, but at one time I was scared of flying airplanes, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's a bugged out story. I go down to Florida and I took the Amtrak down, right? Oh, that's a and long ride. It's a long ride, right? So um, it was a nigga who went berserk on the train in Philly, right? So they took his ass off the train. He was like, you're going to see. You're all going to see. You're all going to die. <laughs> so they kicked the nigga off the train. So he spooked the shit out of me. So I'm spooked the whole ride. We get to Kusawachi, South Carolina. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. The fucking train crashes doing a hundred miles a fucking hour. Babies flying by me, all kind of shit, my nigga. And um people were hurt, injured. Train crashed in Kusawachi, South Carolina. I'm talking about derailed, my nigga. 
car the front of the train flipped over. I was in the back cart, so I caught the I had my tray down. I caught the uh train jabbed the shit out of me and my and uh, hit me and, and and knocked me back, and that was it. Other people were kind of fucked up, some people were injured, but for the most part, nobody died. Um the um matter of fact, I'm wrong, the conductor died. The nigga who was driving died. And um made it out of that. Had to wait for a whole nother, no, had to wait for a bus now. The bus finished the ride from South Carolina to South Beach. So boy. when I get down there, when I get down there, I meet the nigga Trick Daddy come to the studio. He said, boy, this is first words to me. <laughs> he said, boy, boy, the nigga you scared of the man plane, nigga, nigga scared of the airplane, nigga, crash you on the train. Nigga, death is death. It's going to get you. It's going to get you. You can't be afraid now, my nigga. First thing Trick Daddy ever said to me, and we laughed, and that was it. You know what I'm saying? But um, uh, yeah, man, Um, I loved working down there because it was like um, Trick had put us up in a nice hotel and um, went to the studio, and I'm fucking on South Beach having a ball, nigga, free trip. You know what I'm saying? So I was in Hit Factory out there with him. I was in Slip Inside Studio. So yeah, I had a good time down there working with him. And I connected with because Trick is nigga nigga. Hands yeah. down. Yeah. That nigga, that nigga's nigga nigga. Like <laughs> nigga had me in the projects, nigga. Like Trick Daddy is with the shits. <laughs> I didn't even feel safe running around with that nigga. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, Trick and then then the thing out there, right? I don't I don't think so, but down there they smoke Coke cigarettes, they smoke woolies. That nigga being a, a trick coming to the studio with the big he coming with the gallon of henny and a woolie. I was like, <laughs> yeah, this nigga's wild. Now nah, that nigga's wild, my nigga. Wow. Now let me are you are you traveling with the ASR or are you just bringing this? Do they have the, do they do they have well, ASR you know already there? You know what? I went on a tour with most when I went on a tour with most deaf. I carried the ASR and the disc and, and load up on stage. And we had a segment we would do when most was doing the um, New Danger album. And he'd be like, Minnie, what you got for me? And depending on what beat I would play, he would just rock off of it and go crazy off of it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So we had fun. With, 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 uh, I carried it. Yeah, I carried the ASR move, moving around on tour with most deaf. Definitely. You know? Dope, man. Hey, I, I, I really appreciate you coming on tonight, bro. You you drop you drop hella gems for everybody in the room tonight. Uh like this is this is one of my best interviews. Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah. Um you, you had to come off off of some of that Sergio Tashini though. Um well, when, well, you when, know what, man? when you when you come down to DC. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say this. Um my videos that I shot, you know, I, I got like Shit, I got about 16 suits, right? So I wore the suits in my um I wore the suits in my video. I really like the brand. You know what I'm saying? That's one thing I'm gonna work on is um, you know, putting my own clothing brand together and all that. But I really like this shit, so I'm gonna wear it. Like, you know, uh, I got another dude who makes clothing and his shit is like his shit is so fly. It's like the black polo. The name of his clothing is um Wayne Dante, the cricket club. Nigga shit is fly. So the next videos I do, I'm gonna wear his shit because I like it. So if I like your clothing, man, until I get my own clothing deal or something, 
I'm wearing nigga shit. I don't give a fuck what it is. If it's fly, I'm wearing it. So right. surgery was something that when we were young in the 80s and running around, I had, a back then I had about three Sergio suits. Not like I got them now. Like I got them. I love them. Um, uh, uh, um, back then, the guys that wore them that we kind of would see in the street back then, Richard Porter was a guy who always wore Sergio Tassini shit. And I always thought that Rich had a fly style. And I would look at him. He's the first guy I ever saw with a Marmot. You know what I'm saying? First guy I ever saw with the Rolex and the, and the, and the Rolex band. So, yeah, um, you know, I kind of I kind of loved the Sergio Tassini shit for that time. And it was a tennis brand that I always liked. I saw Rich with it after noticing it because I'm a person that's always fashion conscious to what everybody is not wearing. You know, if everybody is going right, I'm going left. You know what I'm saying? I just like to, I've always been a person like to wear fly shit, you know? Yeah. Sergio Tashini was very big in DC uh, back then. It was it was Sergio Tashini, uh, Le Coq Sportif, New Balance, um, and Diodores. Yo, listen. No, you leaving something out because there was a brand. Oh, I'm leaving a lot out. <laughs> Yo, there was a brand when I was down there that was getting ready to kick off, but it was like the fucking crack era fizzled out and New York went home. But when I would go to DC, because I've been to Crystal Skating Rink, uh-huh, and I've been to the Ibex. Oh. Because I I lived in Oxen Hill Village for a little while with my aunt when I was trying to do the right things. Oh my man, life. that's 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 DC version of Soundview. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? My cousin lived in Southview Towers. My people was over southern, southern, southeast, southern, southern and Wheeler, down the block from DC General Hospital. And look, right, you want to hear something funny? I was one of the New Yorkers out there doing doing my thing in Mayfield in Paradise. Wow. I was it was it was and all I can say is I really thought I was a bad guy until I got out to DC. <laughs> No, DC, DC is home of the bad guys. <laughs> like, like, yo, like, yo, oh, what I was going to tell you, you left out Tom Taylor's. I'm not familiar. I'm not no, here. Tom, Tom Taylor's was the jeans. That was the denim. They were like farmers that um, everybody was wearing in DC. Tom Taylor's. And the DC niggas had them on because they wear the Fila suits, the Sergio Ticini and all that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, DC has some. DC is one of the cities. Chocolate City, man, and you know the New Yorkers. All of my New Yorkers that I was playing out in the town with back then, they hated go-go music, and I was like, "How do y'all niggas hate the go-go?" Oh man, thank you, thank you. You know what I'm saying? I loved it, man. I, I fucking loved go-go music. So, you know, um, junkyard band. My shit was sardines. Mm-hmm. I was a New Yorker who was big on sardines, and niggas like, "Yo, what the fuck is this shit you listening to?" I love sardines, man. Sardines. Hey, hey with pork and, and, pork beans. and beans. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, man, my whole my whole family is from my father's side of the family, South Carolina and DC. So you 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 have my number. You you we gotta connect when you come back down. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely, man. Definitely. That's that's mandatory. That's a mandatory yeah. minimum, right? Yes. Um, go go ahead and um shout out your um your social media links, what you got? I, I know you got my, my social, my social media links. Um, my social media links 
for my project is Minnesota Money Boss. Minnesota underscore Money Boss. And then my other page is Minnesota underscore Money Boss Players. And then um, the, the other Money Boss Players who got projects coming out now is EC, BMG, 1200. That's Eddie Chiba from the Money Boss Players. And we working. That's it. And then you got Lord Tariq, of course, on here. And my, my, my guy, Peter Guns. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, right. that's what it is, man. You know, that's what it is. So I, I today I created a produced by Minnesota Spotify playlist. Right. The link is in the chat for you guys. If you want to check out, this is by no means all of the songs that he produced. I left off. I couldn't find the ill and out scratch. I couldn't find the, um, what was the R&B shit we were talking about? Um, Amber, Amber Sunshower. Amber Sunshine. I couldn't find that. It's called uh, Seren Serengeti Plains. Exactly. Uh, none of the Bunny Boss player stuff is on there. It's on Spotify. You gotta, you gotta work on that. Yeah, we gotta. Yeah, we got some. We got a lot of work to do, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Definitely. Um, definitely. Um, we're gonna do something too, right? Mind you, and, and I just we left this out the interview before I get off. I have to say this: there wouldn't have been a Money Boss players if there wasn't this group out of New York called Mob Style. Mob Style was the first. It was corny to rap until Mob Style did it. Mob Style was AZ, who was, um, it was AZ, Alpo, Richard Porter, guys like Kev Childs, just people who were street figures up here in the North. So when Mob Style started doing music, my setup was crazy. I had the, I had the block going, I had the, the vials and packs, and they put out a tape called The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. And when they were rhyming, that's what made me say, I could do this now. Like it was okay because, you know, that was the mob style was when street guys said, okay, I can be a rapper now. Because at one time, street guys superseded the rapper. The rapper wasn't cool, the street guy was. Right. The rappers looked up to the street guys, and that was the beginning of street guys looking up to the rappers. Right then and there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mob style, <clears throat> after that, mob style created hardcore rap in New York City. They created hardcore rap, period, because they came out before NWA. Wow. That was the beginning of New Yorkers saying, Oh shit, let me get off the block and let me get into this. They were mid-level traffickers that put down the cocaine and made music. So and, yeah. So you you have to come down in October because Brand Nubian will be here. Okay. In October. It's it's brand new. Brand Nubian is doing a song, is doing a song. They're doing a show. Uh, in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, with Smith and Wesson. Right. So I want me and you to go to that show. Okay. Okay. When is it? Uh, I want to say October 7th, but I'll confirm what the date is and oh, I'll, I'll get back to you. You know what? This is good. Cause that'll be, a, that could, that might be a good birthday gift to me to come down there and chill out with my family, hook up with you. And my birthday is October 6th. Nice. So yeah, that might be a go. 
That's we'll get up. into that after. Because, yo, okay. you know what? My family in D.C. is big as my family in New York. I just don't know them. And I just I just reacquainted with all of them on, on Facebook. Right. Word. So so we 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 gonna work on that. We're gonna hit up the shows. Yo, shout out to everybody that's that's in the chat right now. Shout out to everybody that's been here from the beginning. Like, I mean, this this has been a uh A1 interview, bro. I really appreciate you for coming on. Yes, sir. Yes, and, sir. And, and we and we definitely gonna build some more after this. Okay, all right, home team. All right, bro. Thank you. All right, peace. Peace.